0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation.
1: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net.
0: Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impact of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. Modern application
1: development needs modern application security. With our award-winning application security testing solutions, Checkmarks enables developers to securely accelerate their work. Learn more at checkmarks.com. AppViewX is trusted by the world's leading global organizations to reduce risk, ensure compliance, and increase visibility through machine identity management and application infrastructure security and orchestration. Learn more at appviewx.com.
2: Marco, sean you know what i go to rsa for for uh, the food food exactly, <laughs> exactly. sometimes <laughs> so sometimes the occasional beverage uh to, to wash the food down but uh only yeah, when yeah, necessary I, I go to the conference <laughs> there you go i go i go to when i go
3: which has been a little while now i go to meet people and to catch up with them, not much for the presentation. You can always look those online uh, nowadays. They're recorded, they're there, but to to meet people. And that's what I've missed a lot this year. Although we stream live with a lot of them from the floor. So in a way, it was a bittersweet feeling because yeah. we were really not there. We want to be there, but we were kind of there. But we didn't catch everything. I feel like being there
2: is different super important to be there as well, and um, while we weren't, some of our hosts were and some of our friends were, we, uh, we've we had a few conversations. I'm really looking forward to today's with uh, Eward Dryhouse. Uh, hopefully I pronounced your surname correctly, Eward. It's close <laughs> enough, Sean. <laughs> After all these years, I'll probably mess it up anyway, but uh, no, it's great to see you again, and um, sorry we missed you in person there in San Francisco, but... You did a post on LinkedIn that uh, that I came across, and I found it to be very insightful, and I thought, you know what? Now's a good time to catch up with Eward and, uh, and hear what he got out of RSA, and it was not just the food, not just the people, but actually some mac- <laughs> some good content and, and topics and learning, which uh, hopefully these conferences are about for most people anyway so edward thanks for uh thanks for joining us good to good to have you on the show again
4: super happy to be here sean
2: so maybe to to kick things off a few words about uh you your role in the industry and what you're up to
4: sure yeah i've been in uh well in tech and cyber for over twenty five years It might sound like a long time and i i agree actually it is a long time. Um, So, in the last 15 years, I've focused on cyber cyber security exclusively, I worked in a bunch of organizations, um, and we we did international business, one of them was uh, Fox IT, we were the people that uh, actually were able to be the first to investigate into the criminal ecosystem. We had a very good bearing on one of the first criminal groups out there doing a lot of online banking fraud. They were responsible for 80% of the fraud out there. And they were also the people who innovated a little thingy called ransomware out of their botnets. Uh, so that was an amazing time. Um, after that, I went to work for a fantastic company. It was your biggest MS, biggest MSP. And um, I got to learn the MSP business and the vendor business very well. We worked with a lot of partners, got to learn a lot of fantastic vendors, Palo Alto, uh, Checkpoint, and what have you, all those, and all those up-and-coming vendors. Um, and um, we sold that company uh, after a few years, and it was actually one of the biggest, uh, Europe, well, it was the biggest European cybersecurity m and at that time, and I think it still is today. Um, and then I worked for a startup because I hadn't done that yet, uh, just to see how that was. It was an amazing time, a company called CyberSprint. I was their strategy officer, um, and I worked there for two years, had a lot of fun. And then I started out as an independent advisor. Now I thought to myself, should try and help more companies like I did with all these three. And that's what I set out to do. Um, On the side of that, I do have an an evening job. I run a not-for-profit organization called Csert.global. Our aim is to chase vulnerabilities all over the internet. We find them, we locate them and we try to find the owners. Uh, We're a sister company to the Dutch uh, Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure. And um, we just started out our first chapter in the UK. I'm very proud of that. And we're trying to build a a global network of incident responders chasing after vulnerability. So that's me in a nutshell.
2: Uh, Super cool. And uh, I mean, I I joked about the food, but I I have to go with with the answer that Marco gave for real, which is it's about the people and, and I, I was fortunate enough to meet you through some mutual friends. I think it kicked off with, uh, Demetrius Lazaricus, uh, also known as Laz, who introduced yes. me to Andy Chandler, who I believe introduced me to you. And we probably did have some food at one of, uh, one of the lava con events or last yes. they were called at the, at the time. Um, but it's these relationships and, and working with you and Andy, Andy, I got some insight into what was happening in Europe and, and with some of the criminal investigations and I mean really important stuff that I wouldn't have a view if I hadn't met you. So I I appreciate that. And it's your view on what happened in San Francisco that we want to get into now. Um, so we'll include a link to the, to this post, but, um, let's drive, let's see here. Uh, let's, let's start with the, the general, how, how did you learn? And then we'll get into some of the what did you learn. So clearly there are sessions, but what it's more than just the sessions, right? What what did you do that week?
4: Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's it took me uh it took me definitely took me a few years to navigate RSA properly. Um, when I first walked in there was I think it was in 2012, so that was uh, ten years ago. And I, I, you know, I, looked. I walked around in Moscone, all starry-eyed, and and I, I really didn't know what to do. I tried to create some kind of calendar out of the, you know, the talks that were there, but you know that that ultimately is, you know, it, it, like you said, it, it's not really where you where you probably need to be. Um, for me, it was also, you know, meeting through mutual friends, uh, getting into the back rooms. Um, Trying to to meet new and interesting people, uh, you you never know who the next person is is going to be who learns who teaches you something. And um, I I found that 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 open mind is really what you need to have. And for me, what really works well is also have a little bit of an open calendar. Um, if you, it's very easy if you're a veteran RSA person. To fully book yourself back to back with all kinds of meetings, you're probably going to be in all the hotel rooms and so on. But me myself, I try to book my half of my day, because you if you if you keep that open space for maybe a lunch here or a dinner there, a cup of coffee, that's when the magic suddenly starts to happen. Uh, and for me, that that was was literally true as well. And then the half that I didn't plan, I had the most interesting uh, meetings. I uh, I met a fellow named uh, A.J. Nash who is very witty and uh, very wise as well. Um, um, I I met uh, multiple people who taught me a lot um, and I borrowed it actually and put it in that post. I I didn't thank them all personally, but this is all borrowed knowledge, but that's what RSA is for in my opinion.
3: And that, that is so true. I mean, I still don't know how to navigate it. On the other hand, Sean knows exactly what to do there. I remember. First time just I went there was probably the when when you, yeah, just follow the trail. Follow the <laughs> but I think I was there the first time when, when you said you were there and uh, Sean was just moving really fast uh, with a full schedule ahead. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what to do, but I agree with you. I mean, the, lately, the last few times we actually didn't book anything. We were just like, nope, let's just go with the flow and, wow. then, and then let's see what happened. And uh, I think that's. That's the way to do it. Kind of like to go lurk in the shadow in a way and, and hear what the buzz is. So why don't we start with that? I, I remember, Sean, a few th- in the live streams that we had, we were asking people what was the buzzword of, uh, of this year. And um, I'm not going to say what we heard already. I, w- I would like to hear from you. What, what was the main topic that you think it was relevant for real and what was the buzzword that you maybe you you didn't really want to hear
4: oh wow what well, I heard a lot of buzzwords actually um, <laughs> <laughs> i probably heard too many of them um it's but yeah that's that's actually one but I one of my points I am adding we'll get there is um I know marketing is hard I did it myself but please can we just stop the buzzword bingo cards it's um, especially if you navigate the floor um you know, I remember back in uh, 2015, all those all those uh, security ratings agencies, you know, came there. Um, finally, if A through F is not granular enough, we introduce a risk score between zero and a thousand. And then I came back in 2019 and they said, well, risk scores between zero and a thousand is too difficult for you. Try A through F. And it, it's, it's always, it's like you're, we're silencing around with with the same messaging and and all the lessons that we learned, we forget and uh, okay so let's let's not rant about that but you know there's so many buzzwords there uh, I I I talked a lot about uh, threat intelligence um, and but that can hardly be a buzzword because it's it's been around for so long. Um, what I believe is, and I sat in a roundtable with, uh, with, with CISOs, and they discussed why threat intelligence wasn't as widely adopted as it should be. Um, and also they talked about some of the problems that they they believed were underlying at the lack of adoption of threat intelligence. And it, it, it came down to some some issues that still, after all these years, in their opinion we haven't learned how to use threat intelligence properly um they jokingly said like, it sh- should be actionable like like a joke if you will um like like threat intelligence is going to be a bunch of uh, rules that are just going to prevent stuff from happening while in their minds threat intelligence is really going back what it's, it's used for to use as tactical and strategical information you can use in your medium and long-term decision-making and that part of threat intelligence isn't, isn't used so much. So,
2: and and is that, so the long-term decision-making, is that in uh, how is it just inside cybersecurity or the InfoSec team? Uh, What tools they select, the processes they deploy, the teams they build, or does it, does it go beyond that into how the business actually defines uh, the products it develops and the services it provides, or, or what, what was the context of of those thoughts?
4: Yeah, so it was. So we, we talked about, um, for example, if you're talking about threat intelligence, one of the things that is always going to be pushed forward is this, just the IOC feeds, right? So the feeds of actionable information that. Um, that is really looking back in the past at what's already happened and because it's happened at someone else you can now leverage that information so you can try and prevent it happening to you um, again that is you know those feeds while they are you know have uses they are always looking backwards right so it's 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 a it's not a tool that you use in your uh, decision making it's not guaranteeing anything that will happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year um, and and for that i think threat intelligence um as, as we discussed it um is is not i don't know a, a simple to use if you will uh, because you need to put your work in you can't just digest it and put it into a system and have it put into firewalls automatically. But tactical, strategical intelligence is, is for you, for you and your team to crunch and to think about and to formulate opinions on and to embed into your, into your uh, operations. And that stuff isn't done that much. If I read the CISOs that I talked to correctly,
2: and I know um, what, one more point on this before Marco moves on to the, the next uh, topic or bullet. Uh, you noted the SEC notification because you talked about kind of rearview mirror look, and that's kind of what this is uh, as well the SEC notification. So, what were the thoughts on that? Um, if, you, if you have any to share. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So, one of those, you know, one of the guidelines from the SEC. Of course, states that for you know larger companies, enterprises, threat intelligence should be mandatory, um, which I think uh, is is seen as a good thing, um, and might be a good step into further adoption. You know, those who don't use it at all, but again, the fear is, well, if you just use, let's say, the IOC feeds part of just just the operational threat intelligence. It will not steer you and your security organization uh, in any you know future-proof directions. So you can still, even if you're forced to use TI, you can still use it too myopically, um, and it will not present that value to your organization. Um, but all in all, it's always good that the adoption will be bigger uh, due to the SEC regulations
2: so maybe not a direct uh connection to this this next point but it's around devops and devsecops and appsec and clearly uh we want to well, we've been trying for years to integrate right security and application development and find ways to to build knowledge and and information into that whole process so teams can either collaborate or teams can either own uh, the the start to finish life cycle that includes security. Um, what were your, what was your takeaway from RSA in terms of AppSec and DevSecOps and, and that whole space?
4: Yeah, I thought, I thought those were some of the most interesting developments, especially on the, on the product and on the vendor field. Um, Again, and I must I must tell you immediately, like because of the whole pandemic situation, I hadn't been to uh, to RSA for two years. So a lot a lot has happened in two years. Um, I know we didn't talk about this stuff two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. But today, you know, if you're talking about the dev process, and again, all of this knowledge is borrowed by people smarter than myself, but um, they see see a trend where devs have an increasingly more bigger responsibility over their own efforts as a little shop delivering code. Um, and that means that there is a trend going on that includes you know, the delivery of the code, includes QA, includes security, uh, all kinds of apps, apps, checks and balances. And there's a lot of uh, new products and vendors out there that are now playing into that trend but they allow devs to spin up instances of those tools, performing those extra services on their own little shop of delivering code Um, that can very easily be onboarded. They can be used by that dev after a while, Um, maybe five or 10 devs use it in a team. Um, And that might be a good time uh, for, an enterprise account manager to give your organization a little call because they see, hey, you know, 10 of your devs are using this. Um, and I, I think you know that's where both the trending in, in development um, and a new business model that is, well, I, I was told by uh, a, a gentleman that was a CMO at Palo Alto, was a René Born of Bonveni, He's actually a fellow Dutchman, uh, has been living there for decades now. That that, that process called product led growth. Um, and that is a methodology that he believes in very strongly. So well, because that allows, let's say, the shopkeeper themselves uh, to use the, the product without any sales or enterprise or whatever interfering. Uh, and only after the, the product is widely adopted because it has a lot of uses. It's targeted at the dev, it's not targeted at the dev manager, it's not targeted at the procurement process and so on, so you bypass all of that. And he really believes in that. So um, I talked about it with some other sales leaders as well, by the way, more traditional sales leadership, you know, who are used to doing those enterprise sales and just chasing down, people showing the value and so on, and they believe, well, in the end, if those 10 uh, devs are going to use that product, you, know, you you need to have a, a discussion with a, with a salesman anyway, because that's when you want to have your volume license or whatever. And that's where your procurement comes in. That's where your, your compliance officer comes in and so on and so on. Um, so in the end, an enterprise sale is, is going to happen. So what they seem to think is, well, this PLG uh, might be a very nice first step to accelerate entry into an organization, but it's going to require traditional sales to make the, the sale bigger, if you will. That's what they seem to think.
3: Nice. I'm going to bring you back to, uh, to other kind of business, which is the, the merging and acquisition, you have a point about that and how you, you're talking about that the the cybersecurity industry uh, company valuation um, kind of dropped. And of course, first thought is, well, sure, look at the economy, right? So number one. Um, but also I think it, maybe that connects to the fact that we need to leave this industry and invest in this business independently if it's a speculation or not. Meaning are we at the point where actually we all agree that there is a great value for the business. And so it's a, it's a long-term investment for, for society as well. So uh, just to maybe elaborate on that, that point.
4: Yeah. I think that's a very good point, Marco is, um, you know, I, I would say it's too simple to just say, well, interest is going up, so money is getting more expensive. Uh, That would be a very gross oversimplification. right? There's a lot of investment firms who still sit on a lot of money and they need to have that money rolling around in order to do something for them. So I think the consensus is that there's still a lot of money out there for who's who's actually looking for it. and again, the word on the streets. This is just some numbers that, that have been whispered into my ear, where that there's about a twenty percent valuation drop. Uh, this is total speculation, of course, because I, I haven't seen anyone doing the math. Uh, how can you? Uh, how can you compare today's valuations to last year's valuation or last decade's valuations? Um, but you know that said, um, all of this investing is, of course, about. Uh, feeling it's, its about a gut feeling as well. And if the word on the streets is that cybersecurity value is dropping, um, interest rates are rising, then indeed um, investing in it—you um, know—for a short-term uh, big exit might be might be a little bit too opportunistic at this time. But long-term investments and investors who are willing to stick with an organization willing to help them uh, over many years to get further. Um, that's that's absolutely fine. That's OK. So, you know, from that, I got the feeling that the chance that we'll see some wild and bumpy rides you now in three years from uh, from from a, from a five million seed to becoming a, a unicorn uh, is deemed a little bit l- less likely. But um, yeah, in the long term, um, for those that require long-term relations with their investors, nothing really changes.
2: Do you? I don't know if you got a sense of this or not, but so clearly, investments help either create or extend a runway, right? Um, so that there's some sort of exit if the if the runway is short. Almost too short in some cases, perhaps. Um, does that drive the likelihood of MA? And I know that there's been a lot of talk of there's so many companies doing very similar or the same thing. So we have to see some consolidation anyway. Do you, do you get a sense that those two things are going to drive a lot of acquisitions?
4: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Um, I did see, well, from my own vantage point, and again, this, this, there's absolutely no statistics behind this, but I did see some very interesting startups who have been acquired in order to be features of bigger companies and bigger products. Um, and I I do believe if you're a bigger company and you are lacking certain functionality that they at this time would be scouting out those kinds of organizations to buy themselves into that kind of technology to uh, to include it into their platforms. Uh, I have seen that happening, but that's no this and, and that's not a not a proof that it is a trend now, of course. Um, but but also of course, the and this is for me as a European, this might sound really um, I don't mean this in in a, in a negative way or something, but it's 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 very, let's say, Putting in a lot of investments with a B round and a C rounds and investments of over several hundred of million um, is something that in Europe doesn't happen a lot. Um, and in Europe, actually, is you see a situation more often where a company is actually uh, earning money. So they're not le- uh, losing money anymore on a monthly basis, but they're actually earning money from sales. Um, at a very early stage in their in their growth paths. Um, It might be interesting, you know, to and I know that when you're used to looking at big investments and so on, um, maybe there might be one or two lessons to learn from some of the more successful European startups that uh, that became solvent very fast, Um, because I believe that there might be some kind of truth in the middle. You know, those big investments might be risky. But becoming, you know, becoming uh, cash positive too soon might be a risky approach as well. So some somewhere in between those two strategies might be something interesting.
3: Something in
2: between. That's always usually that's where the
3: answer is. Right in between. A, a hot
2: dog or a hamburger. Something in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was
3: going more like, you know, a shade of gray between the oh, black okay. and white, but sure. Well, you can yeah. go with the buns example too. That's like, I go way. with
2: the pancake between two pancakes. Yeah, yeah.
3: And and how you package that, pan- that uh, pancake or burger, that is important. That makes me think about, you know, the branding, the marketing. And we kind of touched already on this. Like when I say buzzwords, I know that usually don't come from from the industry itself. It comes from those that are paid to market the industry. And, uh, and you have a couple of points here that even if I wasn't there, I, I kind of have those um, flashback of getting into San Francisco's, they're seeing like billboard or getting into the expo floor and seeing a finger pointed at you that say, you're not good at doing this, let us do it. So that kind of fear mongering is still, still yeah. there despite despite all the all the conversation I guess Sean that we had in the past where we're not that relevant. We're not that effective into changing the, the course. Right. And it,
2: it's more than just the words, right? Your word. It I it's, agree. it's a way I of
3: agree. presenting, I guess. It's it's a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, I agree. I, I do believe that for some reason, we still haven't find the, route the right words to, to, to explain how you become more secure and safe, right? And, and, and for some reason, the old paradigms, you know, the, the, the castle with the moat around it and the bridge and everything, you know, of course, security professionals laugh about that. We're still talking. We're marketing our pro- products like you're protecting a castle. So for example, if you're protecting yourself against ransomware, what they will say is, listen, if you fail to protect yourself against ransomware, that means that your organization will be ransomed. You might be going bankrupt and all of your customer data is out there. And that's what you want to prevent, you know, you want to make sure that you, you know, and and that is a very tricky, um, tricky proposition because on the other hand, the same, You know, vendors are saying, well, 100% protection is impossible. Everyone knows that you can do your best, but in the end, they will get in. So you need detection. You need your NDR, your XDR, your SOC, because you want to make sure if they are in your castle that you detect them. So we're giving them two messages. You need Mm -hmm. to prevent being uh, hit with ransomware at all costs. And secondly, you can't do it. So buy this expensive MDR, XDR product, so you can at least maybe see the criminals walking in your castle. And and why we haven't talked about more reasonable um, analogies, like for example, talking about health, right? How do you so let's 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 talk about not about ransomware like it is um, a a break-in, let's talk about ransomware like it is a health incident. Um, let's just say, and I mean nothing by it. I know many people have suffered this, but let's just say, let's talk heart attack, right? It's horrible. You don't want it. Um, I sincerely hope no one will, will have it. But, but how do you prevent that? You know, It's going to the gym, right? It's eating healthy. It's sleeping well. It's hydrating. You know, that that kind of stuff, it's stuff you have control on, right? And we need to be talking about because then we can start to share the message. We can do this. You know, you can be um, in, in charge of your own destiny. You know, no one can guarantee that you won't have it. But we can scientifically show you that your chances of being hit with such an event will become less and less and less. And this is how you need to do it. And this is how we can help. We can be your personal trainer. You know, we can buy you technology like this wonderful, this wonderful drinking bottle, which has uh, some light on it when I don't drink, it, and so on and so on. Nice. But,
2: I think I had and, that same bottle.
4: Yeah. And <laughs> and why we don't find these more positive angles to talk about cybersecurity, I don't know. But um, well. we don't.
3: I could go with this for a long time. And I actually, I, I want to I wanna suggest, Sean, that we do an episode about that because uh-huh. I have a lot of analogy with how the general advertising industry used to present the problem and sell back in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, and how now things have changed. And the fact that you run this parallel between the conversation that we hear, and that's true. I mean, Sean and I, we hear what you just said. You know, we know there's not the castle. Nobody talk about castle and preventing 100%. But then you go to the floor and and that's that's what you see. You go to the website and that's what you see. So gr- great point that I want to dig into
2: for sure. Sean, yeah, what, we'll, 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 we'll catch up.
3: your attention here. On we'll the sandwich
2: list. that between two other uh, <laughs> And a
3: nice packaging with some that's golden right. arches, maybe.
2: <laughs> exactly. And at, at risk of being negative here with this next point, cyber law, and I guess there, there's some positive news here. So we touched on the SEC stuff. Um, I don't know if there, and you noted some some European uh, law activity as well. So I don't know if you want to touch on that. But then also, uh, white hat hackers and and some precedents there, and and uh, and obviously your yep. your with your foundation, uh, that's a very important topic for you, right? Being able to to it is for share sure. information and not not get slammed for it.
4: Yeah. Now for us, for us that was very big news uh, because you know it's it's even something rather benign and something that happens like you know ten times every minute. It's like the entire internet gets scanned um, by white hats, by black hats, by gray hats, whatever color hats. You know everybody scans the entire internet because you know. There are vulnerabilities, we want to find them, we scan we scan, scan. RDP ports and so on. Um, but something, you know, what you could use for, for um, uh, benign purposes um, is criminalized in many countries. Right? Something like scanning, um, some countries think, think about that stuff in a, let's say, um, uh, in, in a modern way. Like they didn't compare it maybe if you if you talk about a house and about a break in well if you just walk on the street and see your windows open you know they think in terms of scanning might be something like that and then informing someone that the windows open um, not going in the window not seeing what is behind the window but just looking hey there's a window open maybe you should close it um, that's already illegal in some jurisdictions um, and and that makes stuff difficult um, so when when that as, you know, the 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 news uh, about you know white hat hackers in the US no longer at risk of facing charges is, is to us is very important um, because of course white hat hackers um, were always at risk um, if you will uh, in the US depending on who would read the message. Um, if it were a modern person working for a modern forward-thinking CISO, they would probably be okay. But if it would be someone, let's say, living a little bit more uh, in the past, uh, you could be at risk of being indicted. So that 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 now is probably, uh, uh, the, the risk is now probably less. It's not zero, mind you. Um, but that's very good news, especially for my foundation. Um and and also I think it's this really important that from a lawful perspective, you know globally we understand there's a difference between walking on the street and seeing there's a window open and informing someone, um, then climbing into the window and grabbing a bunch of papers that you find somewhere on a table and then you know then waving it in someone's face. You know there's a difference. You know. Um, and that's what I think we should recognize in law as, as well. The law, lawmakers should be a little bit wary of of that there's differences in that regard. And well the, the SEC news was of course um, that was big news as well. like the CISOs I talked to they rejoiced at uh, probably a wider adoption of TI of course as we discussed. Um, theres in the in the in the breach notification law there's a mention of four days. Um, and also, this is this is interesting again from a European perspective. Is in Europe, mind you, we have three days, um, so we need to be work a little bit faster, if you will, to get all of our facts straight to a little bit you know, initial forensics and so on and so on. But also in Europe, within those first three days, we should inform all the downstream victims. Um, and this is something you know that was for me was a big takeaway from. From RSA, um, the SEC doesn't have that requirement. Right? So, so law no in the US, yeah, exactly. That's so it's it's way easier to comply. You know, just get your fax rate. You have four days, and then you inform the SEC probably after three days and 21 hours uh, with some of the initial knowledge you gathered. In in Europe, after three days, you should have informed all of your customers. If you have two million of them, you should have sent two million emails. Right, so it's that simple. Um, and that that is that is interesting. I believe. Yeah? I believe it's good that the SEC is pushing that breach notification more. I also think if, if you're finding difficulty to comply with that law, try to phone up a European friend who works in infosec, <laughs> see how, yeah. they how they do it.
2: <laughs> they do it in three days, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, as we get close to the end, there's one one bullet left, and it's. Still, it's kind of connected to uh, the public sector, and it, certainly, if you look at standards developed by, uh, by government entities like NIST, which you include in the bullet, um was NIST and other frameworks and standards really part of the conversation? How top of mind were those for folks? Things like MITRE, I don't know, MITRE attack come up. Those yeah, things?
4: oh, for sure. Yeah, MITRE attack still so popular, and it's. Um, I heard Mitre Tech, I heard them probably more being discussed than, than NIST, um, if I'm honest. Of course, they have a totally different purpose. You know, they're they're not comparable. Um, but uh, the interesting thing is that I uh, got to talk to a, a few people uh, from NIST. Um, and this is why, you know, I I entered that as a little, uh, little fact. Uh, they were working on the new version. And I think that is wonderful news because I know many, many people who use the NIST uh, framework as a framework of reference for their own way that they implement security in their organizations. Um, So I also know a lot of vendors uh, offer some kind of mapping, um, mapping to, for example, to MITRE, but also to NIST. Um, so, you know, for all of those, you know, that's relevant because they will be m- mapping to a slightly ver- newer version of that. Um, but also, what, what new things uh, have they thought about? You know, all of that stuff to me is really interesting.
3: All right, Sean, I think we, we're almost at the end, but one more question, if you allow me.
2: Always one more. I'll, I'll let you have one more. You never it, let me, but I'll let you have it,
3: one. It's more of a way, thank you, it's more of a way to... To wrap these, uh, it's and kind of pointing to. Oftentimes, you've made reference between here in Europe, where you are right now, and and the United States. And I'm I'm going to put in there every other country in in the world, but of course, easier to compare Europe and and United States. Do you do you feel like that if you were going to do a report like your well, call a report like an informal report of your perspective and experience at RSA conference and you were going to do it about maybe some events or how you feel about what's going on in the old, old country there. What's the, the biggest difference in your opinion and what we can learn from each other?
4: Yeah, uh, that, is, that is a wonderful question. Um, and as far as I can see, and again, this is my personal opinion, Um, I'm going to give uh, some kudos to the U.S., because in many fields, many parts of InfoSec, they seem to be ahead of Europe. That's what I believe. But not in every single one. Um, There are some subtle differences. And, for example, you know, one of the biggest differences I think you can find in anti-fraud. And there is a very simple reason for that. And I asked this as a trick question to some of these CSOs. So, so what? So, why do you believe that the anti-fraud in Europe and in the US is so vastly different? Uh, because it is. And they said, "Well, I, I don't know. Is it because of uh, GDPR? You know, is it no? No, it's not. It's because of the SEPA system, the Single European European Payments Area, which is a real-time international transaction system. Which means that I, if I wire." from the Netherlands uh, to Poland. Within three seconds, it's arrived at the new destination. So that means that um, anti-fraud is real time in Europe, needs to be real time in Europe. You need to be making decisions in seconds, in milliseconds, rather than in days. Um, And that's, for example, where where a lot of the anti-fraud within uh, the U.S. still based upon that the fact that they have a lot of time to make their decisions. Um, so these are some of the subtle differences, right? Where, where they could learn a little bit from Europe maybe. Uh, of course, privacy is perceived differently in Europe, right? So that's a difference and there are more differences. But I would say that over the whole, uh, the U.S. is ahead of Europe in many fields except
3: for a bunch except Uh, for the one that are
2: not ahead and different except for many where (laughs) the the other many are different
4: exactly there
2: you go i I love that and the the, i couldn't help but but think about the uh the crypto blockchain conversation we had the other day marco about just the 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 need for real-time quick decision making on transactions and verifying uh the integrity of, of that information and sounds like this payment system is very similar to that but probably not on the blockchain nonetheless but uh anyway interesting conversation we had with, i think that'll be out uh shortly for those who want to listen to that but right now i want to thank Uward for uh for joining us today and uh i mean tons of information here lots of points i'm happy that you were able to take some time to walk through each of them with us um uh, adding some color to, to the points in the post. Of course, for those listening, we'll link to the post, um, which will then obviously link you to, to Eward. And uh, feel free to connect with him, of course. And anything else that uh, we think is interesting, we'll include in the show notes here. Of course, stay tuned for all of our coverage. This is the last of this for RSA Conference, itspmagazine.com forward slash RSAC everything that we discussed uh before during and after the event and uh of course we're kicking off our black hat defcon coverage as well so be sure to find that and uh to follow us on our journey to las vegas so Edward, thank you uh thank you again marco it's time for some pancakes
3: there you go thank you, Edward. Thank you so much
1: AppViewX is trusted by the world's leading global organizations to reduce risk, ensure compliance, and increase visibility through machine identity management and application infrastructure security and orchestration. Learn more at appviewx.com. Modern application development needs modern application security. With our award winning application security testing solutions, check marks, enables developers to securely accelerate their work. Learn more at checkmarks.com.
0: Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impact of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. CrowdSec, the collaborative and
1: open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. Thank you for listening.